families can get very offended. They're, they're not used to this kind of behavior. So I tell the families, this is not your loved one. This is the behavior. This is their injury that is speaking out. And we try not to personalize the behavior we make. It's part of the injury. It's part of their recovery. This is TBI, Talking Brain Injury, with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann. I'm a mentor with BX since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus a whole bunch of kind of sort of maybe do remember. Today, I hear from two pioneering professionals at Denver's Craig Hospital, a place that a lot of listeners to this podcast have spent some time. There is Ari Randau, a board-certified behavior analyst, and Dave White, a registered behavior technician. They work together as part of the interdisciplinary team at Craig, using the science of human behavior to help patients in those first weeks after a traumatic brain injury. Every patient at Craig works with the team, but treating behavior is a relatively new concept in the TBI world. Ari and Dave explain what they do and why it's important for the patients and the patient's family in those critical weeks after a life-altering injury. Our guests are here to share stories of recovery and what's worked for them. So please, even though I'm talking to the professionals, contact your doctor for medical advice and the treatment that's best for you. Welcome back. It's the BIAC podcast, TBI, Talking Brain Injury from Brain Injury Alliance, Colorado. And today I'm joined with two folks from Craig Hospital, one of the just incredible outlets that we have here in Colorado. I've got Ari Rondo and Dave White. Ari, Dave, thanks for being here. Thanks, Thank Bill. you, Phil. And um, first, we'll start with Ari. Tell me what it is you do there at Craig. I have a pretty exciting position. I'm a board-certified behavior analyst, and I'm the first person with my credential to work in an acute inpatient hospital setting. Dave, yourself? I'm one of the RBTs, the Registered Behavior Technicians. I work under Ari and another BCBA, Liv, and I deal with the patient's behavior. I help with the behavior plans, implementing them, helping to maintain them, and educating staff. Now, Ari, you said first of your kind there. Explain exactly how that came to be. Did it, did you show up and say, guys, I need to be here? Or No, no. It was very different than that, Phil. Uh, so in 2015, Dr. Eric Spear joined Craig Hospital over from um, El Paso, Texas. Or I'm sorry. Yes, Texas. And at his last setting, he worked with a BCBA, and he just thought that the science was so applicable to brain injury rehab that when he got to Craig, his first motion was to try to get a BCBA on staff. It took him three years before Craig agreed to post the position. Uh, and then Craig is the first hospital to really pilot this kind of a program within their interdisciplinary team. Now, for somebody, you know, I'm really not familiar with what it is that you do then, board certified behavior analyst. I guess in a nutshell, what is it? I'm going to answer and I'm going to have Dave answer this one too. Yeah. So we study the science of applied behavioral analysis, and that is the science that seeks to understand human behavior. So when we look at behavior, we kind of look at it very differently than we look at thoughts and emotions. Behavior is kind of its own challenge and its own set of kind of rules and skills. So for my part, ABA is really how do I understand how someone's behaving within a certain environment? And Dave, how is it that you fit into the picture? I work under Ari and Liv, so I have uh, four other B RBTs that work with me. We help implement the behavior plans and get data and feedback from other staff, frontline staff members on taking data on how their patients are doing, how we can fit the behavior plan in their day. 
And we also do some behavior modification, some respond to behavior incidences of highly escalated behavior. So we just support Ari and live and the behavior plans. Very cool stuff. And like you two were saying, it's the sort of thing that just, well, this is the first time it's been applied in a clinical setting. Craig Hospital. I've never been there. I've never been treated at Craig, but I've talked to a lot of people who have. And they said that, you know, one of the most unique things about Craig is the um, the team that brain injury survivors end up with. You know, the fact that they've got several different specialists that are helping them manage their way through recovery or whatever stage of, you know, life they're in at the moment. So I guess we'll start with an example. So say me, Craig, if I were to go there, you know, maybe I just, oh, fell off my skateboard, nailed my head hard, and I'm trying to get back to, well, being on a skateboard. How do you two and what you do fit into the picture? So it would depend, Phil, on how you're presenting upon admission. If you have any challenging or dangerous behavior, typically what happens is Dave and I are some of the first people you would meet if you get uh, admitted during the day shift. And we would go in and we would help with everything. We would help with your personal cares, transfers, feeding, anything where there might be the potential for a dangerous behavior. We would come in and support the direct line staff. On top of that, I think one of Dave's really great skills is talking to families, because as you can imagine, Phil, nobody wants to see their family member in those stages. And it can be really hard for families to kind of be in the room watching their loved one, maybe engage in some aggression or some verbal threats. So we kind of work together to make sure the staff are safe and then really that the family understands what's going on. And that, you know, that's another thing is I've talked to a lot of other survivors, always the story about, um, you know, um, uh, family and and how important family is and it's usually in hindsight that people realize just how important their family was a lot of times like myself included my mom always tells me the story about you know two to three days after my most serious incident it wasn't skateboarding it was snowboarding um mm-hmm. hit a tree nailed my head broke some arms and legs did all that stuff um basically hugged a tree a little too hard and mm-hmm. She talks about, you know, how I would get angry at the fact that I couldn't do my work that I was supposed to be doing, you know, that I was missing work. And she tried to explain to me that, you know, you can't do it because you literally cannot do anything right now. And so I had some of that anger, too. I guess, Dave, tell me about, you know, when, when you have somebody who's angry with, you know, a family member simply for being there. Well, no patient voluntarily comes to Craig Hospital. They are here because of their injuries. So what I do is... I make sure that the family is comfortable with me being there with their loved one, with the patient. And I let the patient, I get to know the patient more. I get to know how they react, how they, how I can respond to them. And I give the patient's family that break. A lot of times their families have been with them for the last month, the last two months, and they are just exhausted by the time they get to us. So I give them that break. I get input from the family, how I could best take care of the patient. And as we get to know them, and take care of them better. In your specific training, what is it that helps you, you know, to, to be able to manage these situations, you know, better than, you know, just a, like say a nurse? Because like you said, you, you're helping the frontline employees, you know, your nurses, your other folks that are there, part of that team. Um, how does your specific training, you know, help somebody navigate that a little bit more comfortably than otherwise? Yeah. All of the RBTs on our team are previous. We worked as CNAs here at Craig. So we have that experience in dealing with patients' problem behaviors, their escalations. A lot of it comes with experience. I do have training all of the RBTs in ABA applied behavior analysis. And we also teach some classes on how to de-escalate physical and verbally these high-risk situations. 
So most of it comes from experience, but we have that special RBT training and uh, management of these escalations. What are some of the most common escalations you guys have seen? Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, are there any you know, uh, common threads between head injury survivors? I don't know about common threads between survivors, but there are definitely environmental variables that trigger pretty much everybody. Uh, one being the bowel program, you know, pulling down somebody's pants, putting things in their rectum is never a nice experience really for anyone. Uh, another one being our safety devices. So we do have netted beds and we do have uh, fall preventative belts that we keep on patients' wheelchairs. And I can't think of anyone who has ever told me that they like the BOP, which is our bowel program, or the belt. Those are typically things that patients will refuse. They will, you know, try to push them away. They will try to stop staff from putting them on them. So that I think is a pretty typical thread, especially early on in this day. Specifically your adult patients or all ages? Uh, we only serve adults here at okay. Craig Hospital. We would take someone as young as 15 years old, depending on their body size and shape. But typically we are serving a, the adult population exclusively. Again, like I said, I've never been there, so I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> I was, of course. I wasn't sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. And I could understand that. So it's like earlier today, I was actually talking to a gentleman who volunteers with a search and rescue group. And he was talking about the interesting reactions that people have when they have been rescued in the backcountry. You know, the, the fact that, sure, they're happy to see you. They have a broken leg. They literally cannot get themselves out of the backcountry. But chances are they are embarrassed beyond belief that they need your help, especially if it's somebody who is, you know, a, a pretty experienced backcountry person. And it sounds similar to what you were saying, some of those triggering things for folks there at the hospital that, you know, maybe sometimes it comes down to embarrassment that I'm an adult. I don't need a bell on me. I don't need these things, but they're there for a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. Those protocols. How do you explain that? Or is it your job to explain that? What I've said before is it's for your safety, of course. And sometimes that's understood. Sometimes not. We use gestures. We don't always use our verbal voice because the patients can be triggered by that. And what have you seen, Ari? I, so it really here, Phil, we're at the very like acute phase of recovery. So ideally our patients are starting to gain some insight, but maybe don't really have that insight and awareness. So telling them things like it's to keep you safe. Sometimes they will say, well, I don't effing want to be safe. And then you never want to power struggle with anyone, right? So what I typically will do is I will try to ask for their assent. Can I please put this device on you? It is part of my job. And people typically will take to that a little bit better. Uh, at the end of the day, it is for fall prevention. So if we have to put it on, we will put it on and then just try to redirect their brain onto a new task. Because sometimes getting into that rationale can be just as big of a trigger as the belt itself. It's a delicate tightrope that you guys walk. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I am sure. Like you, like you said, trying to, well, help somebody, you know, let them, you know, you do your job while also helping them out and, you know, helping to convince them without getting into that circular argument that I'm sure exactly. that some people get, can get into. Um, now, as, as far as working with the rest of the team, tell me about um, your role within that, uh, that recovery team and, you know, how you not only work with uh, the patient, but with you know, the docs and everyone else. So I think one of the most critical parts of our program right now are the behavioral plans that we formulate for patients. Those are 100% individualized plans that are written by the entire interdisciplinary team. So 
our team does work on all brain injury teams. And typically what will happen is someone will find Dave or they'll find me and they'll say, so-and-so needs a behavior plan. That kind of gives us this first trigger of, okay, there's staff that are requesting support in terms of behavior management. And then it really is written in an interdisciplinary fashion. We send out questions to the entire team. We make sure everybody gets their input in the plan. And then once the plan is written, that's really where Dave and the RBTs come in. And Dave, I'm going to let you talk about co-treats because I think that's the coolest thing we do. Yeah, we do have other therapies who see the patients daily during the weekdays. We will sit in a class with the patient, get to know them. A lot of times the patients can engage in problem behaviors that the therapist is now busy with the patient and dealing with these behaviors, right? They're not able to treat the patient like they to walk or to engage in a speech activity. So we're there to redirect their attention so the therapist can actually work with the patient and they can get the full experience of their therapy. We take data, we take notes, model the behavior plan for the therapist and answer any questions that they may have about handling behavior. Very cool. And, and, and so it's, it's again, um, just another um, well, level to that, uh, to that interdisciplinary team. Um, that, that just didn't exist before. Now talking to, you know, your docs and maybe some of the other people, um, how did they, what did they say that you all have added to their, uh, to their job? You know, what kind of uh, feedback do they give you? Uh, Dr. Jim Shaw is probably one of my biggest advocates in the brain injury program here at Craig. He was one of our first neuro- neuropsychologists hired about 30 years ago. And he often says that I have absorbed his stress. Because in many ways, when we do have, you know, staff that are struggling to manage the behavior or family that are struggling to manage the behavior, I could be in there, Dave could be in there, we can really support on a different level. And I think that's been really helpful. Uh, the biggest thing with behavior is always consistency and how you're responding to it. So creating a support staff that is kind of made for that consistency has been really awesome. And then Dave, I feel like you could talk more to like how we've supported nursing. Now, a lot of nurses and CNAs, they have their the previous way that they used to handle problem behaviors. So we can actually offer them tools on ignoring this patient instead of engaging in that behavior or standing to the side while you're still watching the patient and just safety habits. We can be that extra hand to help the patient not engage in those dangerous behaviors in helping them transfer. We're all trained as much as the CNAs are. So we can help be that extra hand and that extra person to lean on whenever these patients engage in these behaviors. Now, taking it back just a little bit, um, I'm interested in well, how you two got into this field. Because it, it does seem very specialized. And again, it's the sort of thing that I really don't know too much about. How, you know, what, what led you to, well, to where you are today? Dave go first because he has the more interesting story of the two of us. I don't downplay yourself. No. I've worked at Craig Hospital for 16 and a half years. So I've been involved with brain injury rehab the entire time. I worked as a CNA for 13 and a half of those. Been in the this department, our neurobehavioral rehab department for three years that we've been in existence. So I've I've always loved taking care of people, helping people, and that's how I got into healthcare. So that I was looking, I had got a master's degree, looking to advance my, my job, my working environment. And Ari came into the picture and was looking at hiring a few good people to help support her. So I jumped at the opportunity. I had a lot of experience, a lot of 
education, a lot of things to give to other people. So that's how I got into ABA, into this department. Funny enough, Phil, during his interview, we asked Dave, you know, what do you see for this program? Mm -hmm. And he goes, we're going to bring it worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, thinking global. <laughs> and here I am interviewing him like, what? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> I need you on my team. That's exactly yeah. who I need on my team. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, Dave, what, even further back, what brought you to Craig? What was it that made you interested in their mission there? Craig is very unique and specialized in who we take care of, brain injury and spinal cord injury patients. And we're in the rehab business, so we get the patients as they're stabilized, as they're more, they have these issues with their behavior. So I'm, I love being able to meet the patients where they're at help the family and just get to know them more. We spend a lot of time with our patients, whereas in acute hospital settings, they might be with the patients a couple of days or a week. They're here for the average of a month and a half, six weeks. So I'm able to really be a part of their rehab and make it help make a difference in their lives and their recovery. Yeah, and, and you know, that's another thing that, um, oh, I think back to, uh, well, uh, Ari, I met you at the um, the BX Symposium, uh, you know, the conference they were doing. And one of the comments that I heard from many different people there was that sometimes, you know, they, they hated going to the doctor because they were there in front of the doctor for an hour and it felt like the doctor was telling them how to live their life, even though he had been with them for an hour. And, and Craig, it seems like you guys flipped the script on that. It's... Mm -hmm. We're there for the duration. <laughs> you are there yeah. for, yeah, the, the, the entire treatment program. Very cool. Um, and Ari, what was it that brought you to Craig? Well, other, uh, than, the, other than being inspired by a doctor that said, we need you here. <laughs> I didn't meet him until after my interview, actually. Oh, okay. So that was kind of a backstory. But I, so ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis, is largely... Uh, working with developmental disabilities right now. So individuals with ASD, autism spectrum disorder, are guaranteed behavioral services through the government. And most of us, BCBAs, we start kind of working with individuals with autism or other special needs. And that's where I started. I was a preschool teacher, and then I went into home services. And during one of my home service stints, I got into a pretty aggressive situation with a client. And I was really upset because I didn't feel like I was getting supported. I didn't feel like I was supporting my other staff by sending them into that home again. And I kind of took the leap of faith and I said, you know, I really want to work for an organization who's going to put safety first. So when I did my interview here at Craig, it was kind of like a dream job that I was never going to get because I had no experience. I was like, they're not going to hire me. I don't need, I've never worked in a hospital. And I think the reason why I stayed and the reason why we have built so much is because... I could tell from day one that Craig had safety at the forefront, and that's really where I wanted to be. I think staff, patients, and families all deserve to feel safe every day. Yeah, that's the truth all around. S staff to patients to, yeah, everybody needs to be there. Um, and. Yeah, you know, I, I guess that's one thing that I never think too much of because yes, I've I've heard that you know as I was recovering, I was aggressive, but um, I, I don't think I ever got like physically aggressive. But I'm sure that you two run into that. Uh, yeah. We do. Uh, we work with a curriculum called Safety Care here at Craig, mm -hmm. and it is an evidence-based curriculum that really works on least restrictive methods. So Dave and I probably have one of the highest criterias of any team that deals with aggression management in terms of when we would actually touch a patient. I'm going to do everything I can think of before I put hands on anyone. Because I imagine it would only make things worse. Sometimes. In a nutshell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, like you said, it, it's based off of it. Well, it's, it's based on research. It's based off of, you know, what people have seen over a long time. Right. Great. Um, now, day in and day out, you know, I guess, uh, you know, like you said, you're working with those acute patients, patients that are at the you know, you know very beginning of their recovery. Um, beyond that, what programs does Craig have for folks that are, you know, two, four, even eight years on? Are, are, are you all involved in anything like that? You know, people that have been through the program and then, I don't know, maybe still having a hard time with day-to-day life? So we do have a pretty extensive outpatient program here at Craig. Uh, that we're always happy to take, you know, people from the community and make sure that they also can get services here. In terms of behavior management for outpatient, we have not gotten there yet. Um, We did get a really gracious grant, uh, and we are planning to use some of that money to build into our outpatient setting. All right. So not yet, though, like Not yet. We're coming. (laughs) Going to take over the world. That's right. Like Dave said. (laughs) Um, thinking back on, you know, your, your experiences with the program, how do you think this program itself has even evolved and changed to, to better fit the needs of, you know, brain injury survivors? Cause I'm sure that, you know, Ari, you had an idea of how it would work when you first came in and I'm sure it's changed since then. Dave, why don't you tell them what you, what the original RBT plan was? Oh, I'd love to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) We change a lot, Phil. We originally started our plan to with four RBTs. And so two of us were going to work the morning shift and two in the evenings, Monday through Friday, we were going to handle the most difficult cases. So we would go to myself and another RBT, Josh, in the morning shift, we would handle two different patients. And we would sit in with a patient. So we were essentially their CNAs. We would take data, we were more trained than the other, we call them behavior attendants who sit one-on-one with the patients. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started. We only started with Dr. Spears' team because they were more open. They were more, well, you, what would you say, open to our yeah. approach? And so that's how we, we began that way. But then we started to notice there are other cases that also they've been asking for our help. Can you go handle this patient too? We were only able to sit with this one, these two patients though. So since then we have changed our scope and worked not direct one-on-one with the patients, but instead training the entire staff, uh, checking in with all these, the patients that have behavior plans with their frontline staff to make sure they're being taken care of correctly. Their behavior plans are being followed, taking data on the patient's behaviors so that's where we've moved from, moved to instead of how we started with taking care of only two cases at a time. Ah, you all are kind of a hot commodity. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of go a little bit more into that, we had admitted a patient. He ended up having an awesome recovery. I'm, I wish I had called him before because I'd use his name. He, that's how much I love this man. All right. But when he was in house, it was hard because he was in that acute stage of recovery where the trach in his throat, the G-tube in his belly, and the Foley in his penis were just huge irritants. And no matter what we said or what we did, his hands, anytime they were free, were grabbing at those really essential tubes. So to help my staff, because he was a large person and he was engaging in some aggression as we tried to block him from, you know, ripping these things out, I put Josh and Dave together in one room. 
And I put Karen and Raven, who are my evening ladies, in one room in the evening together. So I was using all four of my staff on one patient. And at the same time, we admitted two other patients, both who were engaging in aggression about 20% of their day. And it really did, you know, I would have my one guy and all my staff are in there and he's taking a 12 hour nap. And then I have nobody to help in the other rooms that really needed the help. So that's really when we started to look at support staff and what does it look like to have kind of a free range program where we're not assigned to one patient, but we can really help out with anyone. Okay, interesting. Adapting it to, like you said, to actually be able to manage some of these things. And, and I'm sure that uh, some of the other support staff, they've appreciated getting a little bit of extra, well, understanding on instead of having to call somebody, they know how to deal with it now. Right. Exactly. All right. I got to I got to stop by the, the hospital one of these days and visit. Well, I, <laughs> I we're really going to invite all of you from BAC out soon, so I'll oh, let great. you know when that's happening. Good. I look forward to it because again, like I said, it's one of those things where um, you know, I've I've heard the stories and I've talked to many people. One of my peers at BAC actually was he spent some time at Craig, and so he's you know been able to fill me in on what his experience was. But I think it's sometimes hard to you know understand exactly how you all do the dance you do without seeing it actually in person. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which brings me back to Dave. I I would love to even hear your thoughts too on, you know, not only this program, but also the changes you've seen there at Craig over the years that you've been there. Cause 16 years, that's a serious tenure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A long time. When I first came to Craig, I, I have some background in law enforcement. So I knew how to be faced with agitated situations. Not everybody has that tool when they come to Craig. So I already was comfortable with handling high risk situations where we had to put hands on and do some physical management but uh not everybody here is equipped with those tools so i've been i've seen a lot of different changes over the years of course the way that we handle aggressive behavior and even problem behaviors that we don't have to put hands on like somebody yelling somebody cussing and since we've had this team in place it's not just us as a team that knows how to handle these situations but now it's the a lot of the hospital, how we've educated them. We've modeled certain behaviors to how they take care of these patients. So it's people are more equipped and they're better prepared to step into these situations where they might have to ignore a patient while they're yelling at them, or they can walk in and the patient's trying to get out of their bed. They can handle it themselves. So it's been a, a big move from the not having those skills, not having that equipment and that those tools to now they're capable and they're able to do those more. It reminds me of just kind of in general, um, uh, you know, what we know about TBI compared to what we know five years ago, 10 years ago, even, you know, anything like that. The the understanding of the mechanism of the injury and exactly what it does is so different than, um, you know, than, than it used to be. And so is the treatment. It, it's nice to know that the treatment has kept pace with the understanding because I, I think I'm sure you, you two are the experts <laughs> when it comes to that. What good is knowing more if you can't then direct your treatment to what you now know, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, again, it, it reminds me of somebody that I recently talked to, an OT up here, because I'm based in the mountains up in Frisco, and she's mm-hmm. a, an, uh, an OT for one of the clinics um, that, you know, sees lots of, uh, lots of ski and snowboard accidents, lots of outdoor accidents. And she was the one who thought, you know, if we are helping somebody rehab a broken bone and they hit with enough force to break a bone, chances are they probably did something to their head. 
And she, and she was like, it's wild to think that nobody thought that before. (laughs) They they were so busy, you know, getting that broken bone back or getting that busted knee back that they didn't think, you know, this person's probably also dealing with some, some head injury, whether it's minor or major or what. Um, It's just, it should be part of the full treatment program. Not just one thing, the, the, the whole body. Absolutely. Yeah. And the whole behavior. Yes. Mm -hmm. My final, I guess my final interesting question about what you all do is uh, obviously, you know, you are helping manage situations in the moment. What's happening? The long term, you know, how does, um, you know, helping somebody manage those aggressions, those emotions, those outbursts right now help them recover better and more fully? If you could give any sort of thought to that. So I think the interesting thing for me coming into brain injury in this world and kind of this clinical skill was behavior is behavior. So the same way, Phil, that you have probably woken up on a morning and thought, I don't want to do anything today. And then your behavior kind of followed suit. That can happen to anyone, regardless of injury, regardless of what age they are, what gender they are. So I think that's been kind of my biggest takeaway is like behavior is behavior. And that allows us to not only help the families, but help the survivors. Because a lot of people, like you said, they do experience some emotional kind of just dissonance with, I never did this before. Why am I doing it now? So to show them that, hey, your behavior is controlled by your environment. You know, you're trying to get away from something or you're trying to get someone's attention and your brain's doing it in a different way, I think has been really helpful in a in the short term and in the long term. Um, One of our patients, Zachary Ramirez, actually was a talker at BIAC Colorado, and he was someone who presented with a good amount of challenging behaviors. And to have given his family the skills and to have given Zach the skills and then to be able to chat with him afterwards, it has been really a beautiful kind of illustration of what does it look like to make sure that everybody understands enough that they can help in the future. And Zachary these days sounds like he's doing, I didn't have the chance to meet him, but sounds like he's doing well. He's doing so awesome. Great. That's good to hear it. Yeah. Behavior is behavior. That's it's, um, I think sometimes it does take just a a second to step back and, um, well, put things in as simple terms as you possibly can. Um, and realize that, you know, I don't know, this behavior doesn't say anything about you as a person and a human being. It's just how it happens to be right now. Absolutely. And that's what I like to tell families when they're with their loved one who's a patient and they're cussing at them, they're raising their voice. I they can get the families can get very offended. They're they're not used to this kind of behavior. So I tell the families, this is not your loved one. This is the behavior. This is their injury that is speaking out. And so it's we don't we try not to personalize the behavior we make. It's part of the injury. It's part of their recovery. And I'm sure that goes a long way. I, I, it's it's given me ideas on how to even interact with people outside of injury in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. So we teach an eight-hour class, and Dave has teenage kids at home. And it's funny because the class really is for our brain injury population, but it becomes a parenting class and a marital class and a dog training class because mm-hmm. you can use these principles with everyone. So it's really nice to see, you know, I have staff come into my office and they show me sticker charts that they made for their kids based on things I taught them about a patient. Yet another reason for me to come on down and visit Craig. That, <laughs> that class, is it, is it open to anybody or is it just, just family? Uh, it is closed to our staff right now, but okay. Phil, if you want in, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I love having an in there, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I'd, I'd have to get myself out of the mountains. And you know what? I'm actually looking at a snowstorm right now. So this is the time of year that it's pretty tough for me to 
well to want to leave the fresh snow. I understand that. (laughs) Well, Ari and Dave, thank you again for making time to uh, talk a little bit about this. Um, Any final thoughts that you can come up with about, you know, what it is you do and, you know, taking over the world, (laughs) how how you see this becoming a program that other places could use or maybe people could use on their own, like, you know, day to day? Well, we're developing a curriculum, a neurobehavioral curriculum that we're going to be rolling out to our orientation staff and nurses and techs alike, CNAs. And we, we, have, we don't have any model right now, but eventually we might bring this out to other hospitals and other programs. So that's what, it's in the works right now, but we have some plans. Uh, I think this next year, Phil, is going to say a lot for our program and kind of for the future of our science within the inpatient setting. Uh, thanks to this grant, our RBT team will be going from six to 10, and my BCBA team will be going from one to three. So we will be able to grow in a way that is really just fantastic at this kind of time of development. And having that many boots on the ground is really what I'm looking forward to because changing behavior takes a lot. And I think the more consistent we can be, the more support we can bring to the whole hospital, the better Craig will really be at kind of modeling this to others in the future. Nearly doubling in size. Yes, we are. Very cool. And what's the grant? Uh, So the grant was actually from a private donation and it is just to the neurobehavioral program over the next four years. Very cool. Yep. Well, can't wait to see where it goes. And and thank you to both of you again for the the good work you're doing down there at Craig and especially of like expanding the boundaries of how we treat brain injury and um, not only for the patients, but also for, you know, keeping staff safe and and helping family, you know, navigate those, those tricky, tricky moments. Yeah. And like Phil and any listeners who listen to this podcast, feel free to reach out to us. We're always looking to collaborate and grow and understand more. So if you have something you can bring to us, or if you want something that we have, We really love those relationships and we've been trying to grow those as our program grows. So we're really open to anybody coming in or going anywhere. Reach out, definitely. Ari, Dave, it's glad to know that you two are doing the good work down there. Yeah, appreciate it, Phil. Of course. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, good to have you here on the uh, BIAC podcast, TBI Talk and Brain Injury.